0: Welcome to the official Jets podcast. We're launching a new series as the NFL draft inches closer. This is our draft podcast presented by Dell Technologies and SAP. The draft less than one month away. We're almost there.
1: April is here. March Madness is behind us. Speaking of behind us, uh, I got the victory tree behind us at one Jets drive. Um, The off-season program is actually supposed to start at April 19th for the New York Jets and the rest of the 31 clubs in the National Football League. But I think most fans, now that those first tiers of free agency are complete, they're looking ahead to the draft, and we're going to have them covered. I can't wait for this month. The, the, the whole month, we're going to be loaded as far as content is concerned, and we're going to talk to different people externally and from inside the building as well.
0: So the Jets have two first-round picks two third-round picks, two fifth-round picks. They got nine picks overall, five in the first 87. And this is a scout's dream. We actually spoke to two national scouts who you'll hear from today, Jay Mondelisi, one of EA's good friends, and Dom Green.
1: Yeah, Mondo's a great friend. He's been with the organization for 17 seasons now. And his background's very diverse because he started out – in the coaching ranks, and he's had various scouting positions. He's now a national scout. Dom Green, much like Mondalisi, yeah, he's so experienced. If you look at his background, he played football in college. He coached at the community college level. He was a head coach. Uh, he's worked for various teams in the National Football League. Two very well-respected guys within the organization. And Joe Douglas talks about the talent he has assembled on the staff and he's always always spoken of decisions not being unilateral, but being the importance of everybody's voice in this process.
0: And both those guys, they gave some insight as to how weird of a year it was for them. I mean, in a typical scouting year, scouts are on the road a tremendous amount of time of the year, but in any given week, they're at multiple schools, and then they see a game on Saturday. They're talking to coaches, players. That was not the case this season. Much like us, they had to do a lot of their work virtually. Yeah, uh,
1: amazing amount of sacrifices uh, in terms of what the scouts do. These guys who have families, typically during a the year, they're leaving early in a week and they don't come back and see their families until later in the week. And they collect those hotel points because they're always away from home during the fall. But – this year was anything but typical for everybody in the world. And that impacted the scouts because they were just not at the colleges and the universities talking to their various sources, the people on campus, to get better intel on the people, on the, the prospects. So what they had to do, like all of us, is get on Zooms and Microsoft Teams and really do their homework and rely on their connections. And then once the offseason started, the little – Twist in this, the little curveball, was the Jets made a coaching change. So now you're scouting throughout the year, but the new coaches come in and tell you we're running new systems, and these are the qualities. These are the physical skill sets we're looking for in players. And Dom Green and Mondo both raved about salon and staff during that process.
0: I heard the analogy once, the relationship between coaching staff and scouts is almost like you're at dinner and they the scouts present a menu, this is what we have, yeah. and then the the coaches are like, well, this is what we want, and this is what we're looking for. And I thought that was an interesting way to break it down. And like you mentioned, everyone has talked about those meetings between the new coaching staff and the scouts, and everyone has said how productive those meetings have been. I mean, Greg Neshma talked about it a, a little mm-hmm. bit earlier on the podcast. And, you know, I, I think that it's going to be fascinating to see what types of players the Jets will, in fact, draft come April 29th and the 30th and May 1st just because – We don't know what this offense will look like. Right now, everyone's thinking, well, okay, it's probably somewhat of a Shanahan-looking offense, but we just don't know what kind of wrinkles Mike LaFleur wants to add or what kind of traits he values in any position. And the same thing with Coach Sala and Jeff Ulbrich on the defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, it's exciting if you really think about it. And you're starting to see – you saw it in free agency. Joe Douglas set values for players. And the Jets were aggressive when they needed to be. And they got in here a group of players who I think are going to fit in very well. One quality that you know that Robert Sala, Joe Douglas are looking for, you better love love football. And Sala's a big investment guy. You know, he's going to put an investment in the players. The players got to put investments Mm -hmm. in this team and this organization. You really feel like this is the start of a new era. Bottom line, if you're a Jets fan, you know, last year, was very tough but I, I think once the calendar turned there was a lot of new there was a lot of work to be done there still is a lot of work to be done but there's opportunity and the big Douglas philosophy is free agency is nice it's a supplementary piece we're going to add quality parts but we're our lifeblood is going to be the draft it's going to be drafting and then Robert Sala and company development.
0: actually Mondalisi and Dom Green both told us who the Jets were taking at number two? No, I'm just kidding. But let's hear from Jay Mondalisi and Dom Green. Jay, thanks a lot for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, you know, hanging in there. And let's—I think that's a good way to start off because COVID has thrown a wrench in everybody's plans. So, for you in a non-pandemic world, what does your life look like being a national scout?
2: So traditionally, we have three national scouts. Um, I cover Maine and Miami, so I'm the I'm the second look in for the Jets, so we have uh, two of our area scouts, Andy Davis and Alonzo Dotson, who who cover the Northeast and Southeast, respectively. Um, they they do a great job combing through rosters and finding players for us. And then I come through as that second opinion. Um, you know, if they like a player, I'll take another look at them. There are some players, maybe they're not as interested in that. I still take a look at. Maybe we have differing opinions. So it's just a second a second set of eyes on on players. Like I said, down the East Coast.
1: All right, so Mondo and I go a ways back. We've known each other close to 20 years, so we got to put that out there first. I got to ask you, uh, because we talk often about this, how different has this calendar year been for you? Because you just said from Maine to Miami. So oftentimes, I would imagine in a normal year, you're on the road. You're away from your family. What was it like this past fall?
2: Yeah, so traditionally we spend about 200 days um, a year, I would say, on the road. Um, And with with COVID hitting, you know, put a wrench in things for all 32 teams, so we're all in the same boat. So, you know, my goal entering the season was to make everything as normal as I could. So I set up a home office here. I got a TV. I have have iPads, surfaces, iPhones, you name it, tablets um, that allow me to try to do my job um, the same I would be on the road. So instead of walking into a school every morning and watching tape, I'd come down here to my office and do the same thing. And instead of meeting with coaches for, you know, a couple hours a day in their offices, we had to do it on Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And, um, you know, it, it was very different, but like I said, all 32 teams were kind of dealt the same hand. So I tried to make it as normal as I could and 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 try to accomplish the same things I would on the road.
1: But sheer volume-wise, how different was it in terms of, wouldn't it be a typical week for you in the fall you leaving maybe on a Sunday or a Monday and staying going to multiple colleges during the week and then coming back maybe to where you reside there in North Carolina, like on a Thursday. Like how many schools did you actually go to and see maybe a game in person?
2: So during the week, we weren't allowed to travel and go to school. So, you know, like I said, I try to if I normally travel to five schools during a normal year, then I try to watch, you know, do like what I call the virtual school trip um, do five schools. And then I was able to go to 14 games this year, uh, living in the North Carolina area. There's a lot of schools around here, South Carolina, Georgia. So I was able to see 21 of my assigned teams. Um, we were allowed to go to games and socially distance with masks and, and at least be in the stands and see kids live. So, so like I said, every Saturday was probably more busy than usual, but it was a a good opportunity to go see the players live.
0: You said you went to 14 games this season, just to put things in perspective, how many games, would you have gone to if COVID didn't exist?
2: I would say still in that ten to ten to twelve range. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of our legwork is done through the week. Um, we see these guys practice, which to me is a little more valuable than the games. Obviously, we'll get the games on on tape. We'll be able to watch that. But as far as seeing guys live, there's a lot more volume during practice. So Monday through Friday, we're we're out on the road watching guys practice for three four hours at a time. Um, so I was able to go to a few more games, but. Um, like I said, probably about 10 on a normal year, but really the weekends are a time to kind of get back home and, and regroup for the next week, usually. But this year, the, those Saturdays were really the heavy lifting for us as far as seeing guys.
1: Uh, somewhat of a blessing in disguise for you on a personal level because you mentioned in a normal year 200 nights you're away from home, uh, so many nights during the fall, and you got two young sons. Uh, Adorable young sons and Bryson, Landon, and a beautiful wife and Michelle. I would imagine you spent a lot more time, a lot more quality time with them this fall.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was one of the definitely one of the benefits of this. Um, You know, being able to be a dad a little more and bring my kids to school, which isn't something I'm usually able to do. Or, you know, I joked we had we had meetings through February and we take a five minute break and I was able to go play some street hockey for five quick minutes. So, you know, that part's been great. But at the same time, you know, we do have a job to do. And luckily my kids and my wife were understanding of that. I, I joked that this is kind of like a radio station where when my doors were shut, I'm on the air, I can't be bothered. So, you know, it was kind of that balance, you know, they're used to me being on the road or being gone and now they had to learn that, hey, I'm working, but I just got to do it here. So that's definitely one of the better parts being around more, but, you know, like I said, we, at the end of the day, we still had a job to get done. You mentioned. I like about,
1: that line. Hey, Ethan, I like that line. It's like a radio station. I'm yeah, on line I was
2: I was going to bring that up too.
0: We're, EA and I are very familiar with that. Being in yeah. our own, EA's in the in the Bet MGM studios, but I'm in the home studio. When the door shut, it means do not enter. Maybe I should try to get one of those on air signs.
2: Yeah, I got the windows in my office, so you know my kids would come to the window and I'd give them a quick. you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: At least you could do that from like a side profile. If you know if someone comes up in the peripheral, you just stand, stick out your arm, like nope, nope, not now. Yeah, right, but okay. when. Jay, when you mentioned about seeing players live, uh, just generally speaking, how difficult is that challenge this year when you don't have the same access and you're trying to project players not only that played but also who didn't play in
2: 2020,
0: whether because of opt-outs or because their seasons were canceled?
2: So the thing I'll say that at the end of the day, it's the film, right? Like the film is most important, and and that didn't change from our standpoint. You know, they still played games, which we were really fortunate. And we still got all the film, so we're still evaluating the players. <clears throat> as far as seeing guys live, you know, that's a chance for us to kind of see them interact. It's a chance to see them physically, how their bodies are and, and how much they can develop physically. Um, it's a good chance to see them interact with their teammates, and it's a good chance to talk to them one-on-one. So while it was a bit of a challenge not seeing them as much, like I said earlier, 32 teams were in the same boat, so no one's going to be able to use that as an excuse. But me being able <clears throat> to get out to see the 14 games and then going out to the Senior Bowl, and being able to conduct 130 some odd interviews and seeing them practice. And now heading into this week, we're going out to pro day. So I think at the end of the day, we'll get everything we needed. It might've been a little navigating through to get to where we are gonna be in April, but at the end of the day, we'll still get to see basically every player we need to see and and the film's still there. So we're not gonna make any excuses. Two-parter,
1: you just mentioned a Mobile, Alabama and the senior bowl, Uh, how unique was, this year. And then how different does it feel? No combine this year that you guys are just going straight to pro days.
2: Yeah, the, the senior bowl was great. They did a great job putting that on. Um, we there's a lot of skepticism going out through the fall. If it was going to happen, um, they were able to make it happen. And, and not only that, but it, we, we really felt safe. You know, there's testing done every day. Um, we were socially distanced. Um, they kept everyone apart at practices and, and even through the interview process, which we've never done 130 interviews. It's just it's not as easy to do that but they were able to set it up so every player came to your table um you didn't have to fish guys out and they had a you know a barrier to keep things um, socially distant and we were able to interview those and and those are really valuable um as far as the pro, as the pro days go you know not much changes there either i mean at the end of the day they're still going to run 40s they're still going to do position drills they're still going to jump we're still going to measure them you know now they've got one chance to do it they don't have two so a lot of guys work out at the combine, and if that doesn't go well for them, it's all going to come down to their pro day. But now we're going to be going out there, and, and this is your one shot to impress us. So that's different, but you know, not much else will change from that standpoint. You kind of talked about
0: it when you were mentioning the pro days, but I think a lot of – fans or a lot of people that follow the NFL will say like, well, what can you really learn at a pro day? Because most athletes look good in shorts and a t-shirt going through different position drills. Can you expand on that a little bit more about the benefit of pro days, not only this year, but in every year?
2: So I would say this year, more than ever, the the measurables are going to be really important because of COVID going on last spring. And then with no combine, we don't have verified measurables on some of these guys. So as far as height, weight, their arm length, Hand size, this this will be our first chance to measure them from that standpoint. Um, the testing is always a valuable tool, um, it's not going to drive our decisions. But a lot of times, you know, if a guy tests well, or maybe he doesn't test well, that's a great um reference point to go back maybe and watch some tape. So, so maybe we have a player that we thought was you know really fast, really explosive, and he ran poorly. You know, that's not going to kill the player, but it's going to force us to maybe go back and just double check you know the tape. So, we, we like to look at it as like a cross check. Um, from that standpoint, and it's also our chance to see them up live doing drills, see their footwork, see their athleticism, stuff like that. It's just another exposure up close to these guys.
1: We talked to Greg Najma recently, raved about the meetings the personnel department had with Coach Sala and his staff here in the offseason. When Sala was hired and you knew that new systems were coming in place on the offensive side of the ball under Michael Fleur, on the defensive side of the ball under Sala and Albrecht, Uh, What happened? How did that impact you guys in terms of them coming in and talking about their systems and and you talking about your processes as well?
2: So we've already evaluated all these players, right? And and we kind of know how we feel about them. But what our coaches did a tremendous job of is letting us know what they like. And at the end of the day, traits are still traits. Guys are either fast or they're strong or they're competitive, all that. But we had a better feel for what fits into their system. So you know, whether it's size or speed, whatever qualifiers there are for their systems, we're now aware these are what works and maybe this isn't what works. So now we know as we go back out on the road here in March, these are the type of guys that our coaches want. And and they did a great job of explaining that and showing us some of the traits they really like to where maybe we can have a bit of a sliding scale. If this guy's really good at one thing and not as good as the other, he might fit into what they do. And- Is it
0: different? Oh, sorry.
2: Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, go just ahead. To say our, our, we've done a really good job adjusting our terminology as well because every coaching staff, you know, there's still 11 players on the field that they have certain ways they like to call things. Um, so we've had to adjust on the fly, which has been good. And, and like I said, they've been really active in kind of letting us know their standards. Is there what
0: challenge? How difficult is it to get a feel? for a prospect when you're meeting with them over zoom, as opposed to meeting somebody in person, let's say at the senior bowl and getting to meet somebody face to face, even though you're distanced with the plexiglass and the mask,
2: like, is that difficult? It can be, you know, you try to throw them off the best you can. You know, these guys are, are trained on what questions to answer and what they're going to be asked. So you try to make it as much, uh, as much comfortable as they can be and just kind of get to know them and try to ignore the fact that you're on zoom and just talk to them and, and try to do as many interactions as you can. And maybe it's setting up the zoom. We get to learn a little bit about them. And, and, you know, once we get on it, we'll ask them about their family and about how they learn and their, their system. So it's, it's not too different at the end of the day, you're still talking to each other, but you know, it's a little bit of a challenge to get them comfortable.
0: What's the mood of the scouting department, knowing that you have all this draft capital in 2021 to use.
2: I, I don't think you could be more excited as a scout to have this many picks. Um, you know, our work is going to get put out there um, with uh, five picks in the first three rounds, and we're going to have another one early in the fourth and two more in the fifth. And And Joe made a point that if we stand where we're at, after the fifth round, we'll have had an entire draft's worth of picks, you know, before we even get to the sixth round. And you know, we spend 364 days just, just grinding away and getting as much information as we can to provide to Joe and, and we're confident he's going to make the right decisions based on the information we give him. Now
0: joined by another national scout, Dom Green. Dom, thanks for joining us today. Well, yeah, it's good. thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to be here. So, you know, I didn't ask Jay Mondelisi this, but I kind of regret it. So I'm going to ask you, this is how we're going to kick things off. As a national scout, how many of the 50 states have you been to? Oh, hey, wow.
1: <laughs> right off the bat, Dom. Wow. <laughs>
0: Uh,
3: well, I mean, th- the way we do it is so, like, I have the, the central part of the country, basically the central time zone. Jay does the eastern, half, you know, the eastern time zone, basically, and uh, Zach Trudy does the western or the, you know, the mountain zone. So, um, so you know, we don't go every state in the union. We just kind of have a, a broader area than, uh, than our area guy does.
1: But Dom, I think over the years that's what Ethan was saying. Right. Uh,
3: Yes. Oh, over the years. Yeah. I I I've never been up up in like the Colorado, Montana area, or you know Washington, that type thing. Um, But we've covered pretty much all of them. But I'm I'm sure I don't I can't speak for the other guys. I know for myself, uh, I got the south, I got the eastern half covered for sure, and and Texas. But um, that western side, I could still do some. uh, some uh, experience in, out there
1: so do you feel like you're at home right now because we're talking to you you're in a hotel in arkansas you are going to a pro day and i say that not tongue-in-cheek but because so much of your life is spent on the road
3: yeah i tell you what I'm, I'm really fired up just to be out you know yesterday was our was my first day back from last year's about this time last year uh when we got you know shut down and you know the whole world um you know became isolated, you know, so uh, I was really fired up yesterday to uh, to actually get back into a school. We were allowed into stadiums throughout the year to watch games, but we haven't had our feet on the ground at the schools to to talk to their staff and and their, um, you know, their coaches and all those things. And uh, so it, it was really great yesterday and uh, really fired up and, and blessed to have the opportunity to, you know, get our feet back down on the ground at these schools and, you uh, and, and develop better relationships with the players and coaches.
0: What's the biggest difference when you're able to go inside the school and able to get your hands a little dirty as opposed to just going to the stadium, which is what most of this process has looked like in a COVID world?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, when you go into the school, you're going to talk to anybody that will talk to you. So whether it be the the academic people, the trainers, um, the support staff, you know, the guys that do the, their personnel uh, for their team, uh, and obviously they're coaches. So, you know, scouting is all about relationships and how you acquire information, um, how you really get to the inner heart and soul of the player is, uh, you know, based, based off of your, your sources at the school and trusting and getting to know them, um, you know. And the only way to do that is by being in the school and having conversation and, and just, um, you know, uh, developing friendships over time there.
0: You know, we kind of talked about this a little bit with Jay, how all 32 teams are in the same boat trying to navigate the different hurdles that COVID-19 has thrown in your evaluation process. But what do you think the biggest challenge is for every scouting department?
3: Uh, Well, I mean, I think it's um, the the biggest challenge is that, you know, a a lot of us have not seen these players physically until now. And um, so it's going to like – I mean, I think we all have our own general, uh, you know, uh, feelings towards a player, but once you see the player move live in action, you know, either at the pro day, uh, or in his workout, um, or in his testing and all that type thing, um, you know, so you're not really going to, you know, know exactly what you're getting until after these, uh, days are over with. So it just kind of is putting more premise on these, uh, pro days and, you know, it's put more, you know, obviously, uh, you know, there's only one shot for these kids to uh, perform on these pro days because, you know, we're not allowed to work them out individually and all that type thing. So um, that to me is the biggest difference is just the more, you know, it's more onus on the pro day as opposed in the past, you know, kids had the opportunity to perform and, and and meet people at the combine. And, you know, there was more all-star opportunities and all that. So really, it's all boiling down to, to one day you know, for a lot of these guys.
1: From your perspective, you've gone to so many combines in the past. What were the biggest advantages, most significant advantages of the combine? And, like, you take that away, how much do you think the prospects themselves put an emphasis into these pro days now because you're jumping from the end of the season for some of them right into the pro days?
3: Right. And, you know, and the beauty of the combine was everything was there was to a standard of of how the how the 40 was, it was indoors. It was a sterile environment. There was no wind. So now we got to be able to compare a guys, you know, say same position. This guy was running indoors on on you know brand new field turf as opposed to a guy that ran outdoors uh, with and against the wind, or did he run both times with the wind? Although there's was a lot more variables, uh, you know, when factoring their measurements and all that type type thing. So. But really, at the, at the end of the day, for me personally, you just want to really get your eyes on the kid, see how he competes in these days, all right? And, uh, and see how it matches up, marries up to the tape. And obviously, you know, meeting with the staff and the coaches and that type thing again, where we haven't had that opportunity until now, uh, is big as well. So, um, you know, there's a, that to me is the biggest thing. Um, and as far as the differences in that, it's just the the combine allowed in a sterile environment. Everybody's doing things the same way. Now, you know, we can go day to day, and you know, guys might be might be allowed to to brace on the on the broad jump. At some places, they may not be allowed to. So it's it's um, uh, it, it's gonna it's gonna take some some thought, and um, you know, you're not going to just be able to compare uh, apples to apples if that makes sense.
0: What about as a group? you know, how excited are you guys to finally take all your work all year round and finally put it on paper per se and show, yeah. you know, not only Joe and, and his staff and, but also like the Jets fans, like this is who we've been scouting. And these are the, this is the future of your team.
3: Yeah. So uh, I think we're all very fired up to have the opportunity that we have armed with nine picks right now to uh, go into this draft and uh, really make a a, a difference um, through through the draft, you know, and, um, uh, you know, all of our hard work, all those things, you know, all comes to fruition on draft day. But really and truly, uh, all of our work is, you know, the, the, our reports stay with the player, So it doesn't go uh, – it doesn't get dismissed just because we don't draft a certain player. It'll our, our work will stay with that player as he progresses throughout his time in the NFL, if that makes sense. So four or five years from now, when, say, a player from another team is up You know that way our our pro uh, scouts will have an opportunity to go back, read our character, read what we thought about the player, and uh, you know, and it helps them make a decision moving forward in free agency. So you know, that's why uh, for me, anyways, you know, having your boots on the ground at the school and uh, you know, really diving into each player's makeup, their character, all those things, it's really important. And uh, obviously, whoever we select. you know, it, we we need we need that player to be who we said they were going to be, if that makes sense. So um, yep. I, I know I know a lot of us are all fired or very fired up to, be, you know, when you got nine picks, you know, you feel like you can really uh, impact the team.
1: What was your initial reaction when you heard that the Jets had a new coaching staff and how did those meetings go with Coach Sala? A new offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, of course, mm-hmm. a new defensive coordinator, and Jeff Albrick as well. You guys are changing up systems because everybody that Ethan and I have talked about have said the communication was just tremendous in those sessions.
3: Yeah, it was great. You know, ha- haven't met him. I-, I look forward to meeting everybody personally, but just listening to everybody on the on the uh, team's call and uh, and listening to what our coaches want and. And having a, a, a clear, uh, concise uh, vision uh, for how they want to, you know, each side of the ball to be to be built, and uh, it, it's great, you know, because as a scout, you know, our, our job is to find out what a player can do, not necessarily what he can't do. So, I feel like everyone can do something. Right? It's just a matter of, you know, is the guy a fit for what we want, you know, uh, with the New York Jets. So, um, it, it's been really good this so far and really look forward to uh you know getting back to new jersey and getting in the office and meeting everybody personally
0: this time last year dom which was when everything kind of went haywire and when everything became all virtual now that you've had you know almost a year of all virtual meetings and a virtual pre-draft process do you almost feel more prepared in a virtual space than you know a year from now or a year in in reverse if that makes any sense
3: yeah, for, for me personally, uh, uh, you know, I think we, we can all benefit, you know, obviously no one wanted to go through all that, and, uh, but, but you can take benefits away from, you know, some of the, some of the hurdles, some of the things, uh, you know, we had to overcome, you know, through like video sessions and all that type stuff that will benefit us moving forward and help us as a staff and uh, as a group collectively, um, you know, be able to share ideas, uh, listen to one another, All those type things, and you know, because we don't necessarily have to be in all in the same room, if that makes sense. So, uh, I think in that regard, it's uh, it's helped uh, a a lot of the scouting community.
1: Is that music to your ears, as a scout, when Joe Douglas says the main way we're going to build this thing is by drafting and developing players?
3: Yeah, it is. Because I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's a collaborative effort. Uh, of all parties involved, all of our, you know, oars are in the water. Everyone's pulling the same, same way, and same direction, and uh, and it's really good. It's really refreshing, um, you know, because the draft. You know, you want to develop your own and, uh, and 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 build through the draft because that's uh, you know the core uh, of your football team.
0: Really fascinating stuff from both of those guys. Just giving a peek behind the curtain as to what their processes look like and. April 29th, here's the good news. Last year, everything was virtual. People were scrambling. How do you work from home? What's the draft going to be? Roger Goodell was announcing the picks from his home. Now it seems like each team will have a contingency in their war room, in their building, a limited number, and the draft will be in person in Cleveland, Ohio.
1: Yeah, how about that? The draft in Cleveland this year, and if the Jets stay at number two, uh, Jets Nation doesn't have to wait to hear that first name called but make no mistake about it, those other eight picks are very important, too. I know a lot of longtime scouts, a lot of longtime personnel people will say, you really build the core of your roster on days two and days mm-hmm. three. You got to hit on those early picks, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, and it's just interesting, and we're going to be talking about it for a month now, but at the top of the draft, and you've done so much study on this so far, those first 10 picks feels like it's going to be dominated by offensive skill position players.
0: Right. And what's crazy is with if there's a run on quarterbacks early in the draft, a lot of the top skill position players mm. will be essentially 5 through 10, 6 through 10, and we'll see what happens. It's going to be fascinating. But you know what I really love about the draft? And this is such a minor thing, and I'm such a sucker for it. And we didn't, we got it last year to a degree. I love the phone call from the GM to the prospect. And, you know, over teams it was good, but yeah. you know, I love seeing the general manager pick up the phone, the hardwired line, hear what the prospect has to say, the the raw emotion from the prospect. I mean, I, I'm such a sucker for that. I love it.
1: Yeah, there's all these uh, series on, on television and they say, you know, these these are real dramas. There's no drama like sports, the event itself, but also can you imagine you at 21, 22 years old, getting a call to be drafted in the National Football League, and over the years we've seen the guys go up to Commissioner Goodell and give him the shake and the, and the hug and the tears, and it's just a it's a great moment uh, for a lot of people because there's so many people it takes a village to build somebody up, and I I think that um, there are so many people excited, and that's a great thing about draft weekend, much like free agency. You will go to. I bet you, if you went to every one of the thirty-two teams following the draft, they all feel good because you just added <laughs> yeah. you just added to your roster and you right. added talented pieces. So it's just one step of the process, but it's a cool weekend overall because it's the one weekend of the year where everybody in the
0: NFL feels pretty good. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, that is that's a great point, point. and we're about to ramp up our draft coverage over all of our platforms. But one question that's been posed or that we've posed in many different ways I want to bring it to the podcast is we know what the Jets have done in free agency at least in the early parts of it I mean the meat and potatoes of free agency is now in the rear view so how do you think with the new additions that potentially impacts maybe who the Jets are looking at in the first couple rounds at least just from a position standpoint
1: well it's that old adage right it's best player available versus need you want to go in the draft with not a ton of pressing needs because then you can force things. Joe Douglas, we've learned, I think, throughout his tenure here, his stint as GM of the New York Jets, which is which is not even two years old, by the way. He's not going to force things. Um, with that being said, I think if it's close, you definitely go need. Uh, what the Jets did in free agency, and we can talk about it here briefly, Defensive line stands out. Mm -hmm. You need an edge guy. You got Corey Lawson, who's a Sunday. Carl.
0: Yeah. You're you're combining Corey Davis. Yeah,
1: and then you got Carl Davis, wide receiver. No, just (laughs) just kidding. No, so you got Carl Lawson, who a lot of people in the National Football League think his better days are in front of him, even though he was a quarterback disruptor in the past with the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe this is – a home where he can flourish under Sala mm-hmm. and also Jeff Albrecht and then across the way you add in Vinnie Curry who's a culture guy who plays really hard who's gonna be a good fit I think about defense alignment I think about the wide receiver position uh, obviously I misspoke there but Corey Davis he told in the media the other day I consider myself a number one receiver mm-hmm. Jets certainly had a need at wide receiver because you didn't know what was gonna happen with Brashad Perryman being unrestricted free agent, he winds up in Detroit. And the other guy, Keelan Cole. I think Keelan Cole's kinda went under the radar a little bit. Very productive player in Jacksonville, gives you some position flexibility. So those were two clear areas of need entering the off season and they've started to address those.
0: Yeah, I think that what you said earlier, when you go into the draft and you know, let's say you need this position and then you're on the clock and there's a player at that position, but you don't have him rated as highly as another player that's not at a position of need, you, maybe you force it a little bit. Now the Jets are in a position where they go into the draft with what I think many would consider less needs, making it a little more unpredictable. You know, Would it surprise me if the Jets went, let's say, with an edge rusher at 23 or 34? No. But would some people be like, well, well why are you doing that when – you add Carl Lawson, you add Sheldon Rankins in the middle, you add Vinnie Curry on one side. I mean, th- this is really where it becomes unpredictable because the Jets can do so many different things. And also, it's just going to depend how they view a certain player and who's on the board when they're on the clock.
1: Oh, and Rankins, I'm glad you mentioned him because he makes it fun because just imagine a rotation on the defensive interior. you got Fadikasi, you got Shepard, you got Rankins, who's, uh, you know, when he's healthy – he can really go and push that pocket. Quinn and Williams is one of the, he's the top player on this roster right now, if mm-hmm. you just look at it. it, it put him and Makai becton side by side, I don't care. Um, running back, you have a lot of numbers already. You added Tevin Coleman, who's very familiar with Mike LaFleur, as we've talked about, a system fit. And then you got LaMichael Pirine, Ty Johnson, Josh Adams. Uh, so there are a couple positions that stand out as we sit here. And this could change tomorrow. But nickel, who's your nickel opening day? That's a question right now. Brian Poole remains an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Javelin Guidry did some good things for you last year. How you situated the cornerback position? Also at guard, you added Dan Feeney in free agency, the mullet, as you called him. Um, you know, what, what potentially are you going to do there? Tight ends, fascinating just because where the Jets are at. They're at number two overall. And this dude from Florida, wow. He's he's a freak. Where is Kyle
0: Pitts going to go? Well, okay, so this is a great question. (laughs) Let's just have a little fun here. Let's say, well, number one is a quarterback, okay? Jets are not at number two. Most people would say quarterback, right? Number three, most people are saying quarterback. Now you're at four with the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, let's say they stay put. Are they going the Matt Ryan successor? Yeah. Are they adding Kyle Pitts to an offense that has Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley? I mean, that would be sick. All right. So, I mean, where do you want to go in this scenario?
1: Well, I don't know. I'm just wondering, as you were talking, we talked to somebody from Cincinnati the other day. And while you were talking, I just started thinking, what if – Cincinnati, has got Joey Burrow, it, who went to LSU, was very impressive. His rookie season got banged up a little bit. And they had Jamar Chase on the clock, mm-hmm. but also Kyle Pitts was still out there.
0: See, I think that's fascinating. Let's say for this. And, and, and Sewell. <laughs> okay, so let's say for, for this argument, I, I just want to bring this full circle, little Jets tie here. Yeah. Let's say number five is Jamar Chase. Yep. Number six, the Miami Dolphins on the clock. Do they go Kyle Pitts? And, or do they help out their young quarterback with Penne Sewell?
1: I don't know. That's why we love the draft. And I want to be clear about the quarterback position because we're going to talk to people about the quarterback position here over the next month. There's no doubt about that. But the last time Joe Douglas talked, he was clear that He thinks that Sam Darnold's an unbelievable talent and he's going to reach the ceiling in the National Football League, but he will listen if people do call. And there are a lot of quarterbacks in this draft that people think awfully highly of. And we're taping this a couple days on the heels of a couple impressive Pro Day workouts, and you can fill them in on that.
0: (laughs) I mean, Zach Wills and Justin Fields both trained by John Beck, both had similar scripts, so it seemed, both very impressive throws. Or very impressive throwing sessions, should I say? And you know, we'll How see. How about Fields
1: running a four four?
0: Yeah, it's insane, especially at the weight that he is. But yeah, look, there are a thousand different layers to this onion, and we're going to break them all down right here on the Draft Podcast, presented by Dell Technologies on SAP, on the official Jets Podcast. And we'll be back next week with some more draft talk.